When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Into the end zone. Brady's going crazy over there. Now it's legal. It wasn't legal when Reggie did it for Matt. They didn't call it. That's fine. But there's the bush push, and he pushes him into the end zone. What's up, everybody? Oh, let's get all set up for a big old week two in college football. How are you? I'm Joel Klatt. This is the Joel Klatt Show, and I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being alongside here. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joel Klatt. Um, if you don't know, this is a new podcast. This is only our third podcast. And if you have not listened to the first two, uh, folks, you got to go back and download them and uh, listen to the first couple of pods because we had all sorts of discussion about everything in college football. So, Ohio State fans, get back there to episode one. Um, we broke down everything that just took place against Notre Dame, why it was good for Ohio State to win in the fashion that they did. Talked a lot about Georgia and their dominance. Stetson Bennett, my thoughts on him, why he deserves more respect. That's in uh, the the first episode. Uh, the Utah loss to Florida, obviously. Uh, and then college football expansion. A uh, lot of thoughts on that. So if you want to listen to any of that and kind of an expanded version, go back and listen to podcast number one here at the Joel Klatt Show. Um, and then Wednesday, yesterday, uh, we had our second release. Michigan fans, definitely go check that one out. A lot of thoughts on your key uh, quarterback situation, Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. Um, OU fans, you got to get back there and listen to that one. Download uh, that one because I – I told you exactly what I think about Brent Venables and what could be a great fit at Oklahoma and and why I think Oklahoma is still the best team in the uh, Big 12. Also, some hey fans. Um, fan bases around college football that probably woke up Sunday or even went to bed Saturday night and they were like, I don't know what to think about my performance and even Sunday night with LSU and then even Monday night with Clemson. And so a, li a little, Hey fans, Iowa, Penn state, Utah, LSU, Clemson, get back there. Listen to uh, episode two of the Joel Klatt show and uh, download it. And I think you're going to gain some insight. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I can't wait for this. This one's going to be a look ahead. All right. So th the Thursday episode of this show, every single week is going to be a look ahead to the weekend. So this is going to be an, a nice preview for what we're about to see here in week two of college football. And if you're listening to this, you're a college football fan. And so you know that this is a very light slate of games. However, there's a biggie. 
Big Noon Saturday. We got the biggest game of the weekend, folks, and I cannot wait to get down to Austin and check this one out. Alabama, number one in the country, best program in college football, and Texas. And I could not be more excited for this ball game. So here's what I thought I would do. Since I'm calling the game, and it's kind of a light slate of games you know, throughout the weekend, I wanted to just give an in-depth look. I've got my charts right here. I got my my boards, you know, these are kind of my study boards for the course of the week, and I've got them right here. And and I'm going to take you through each team generally and then each unit of each team and and give you everything that you need to know about both Alabama and Texas and how it relates to this matchup. So, let's dig in. Okay? Shall we? Let's start with Kind of an overarching, big picture, pull yourself back a little bit, Texas. Texas football, the Longhorns. What does Saturday mean for Texas? Well, I don't think it could be a bigger day for Texas. And the reason is, is because Texas feels like they have gone all in. They've got the guy that they really feel can bring them back to prominence in Steve Sarkeesian. They've had good recruiting classes. They've invested a lot of money into this program. They're at the cutting edge of NIL. You know, Bijan Robinson has Dijon Mustard. It's like the perfect NIL deal of all time, other than the coldest with his air, con- air conditioning deal, uh, deal. But this is a huge day for Texas because it's going to essentially act as a mirror, all right? Not because they are like Alabama, but because Alabama is the mirror of college football. They will reflect back to you exactly where you stand in relation to where you want to be. That's why it's so big for Texas. There's no escaping the reality of what's going to happen on Saturday. You're going to face the preeminent program in college football. And, and there is no running and hiding for what is reflected back to you Saturday at 11 Central at your home stadium. No running from it. You can't get away, Texas, from what is about to happen. That's why it's so big. In a lot of respects, what happened in week one is a bit of a big caution flag for Texas. Because guess what you don't want to be? You don't want to be Oregon of week two that falls woefully short of one of those mirror-style measuring stick games. You don't want to be Oregon. Oregon fell so short, their effort was bad, their execution was poor. Georgia absolutely hammered Oregon to the point where we're like, hey, was, was Oregon overrated? Yep. Yep. They probably were. That 11 next to them in the preseason didn't belong based on the way that they played. Now, Texas doesn't have those type of preseason expectations. Remember, they weren't ranked um, and, and aren't ranked right now. However, however, you do not want that mirror to look back at you and say, you're miles away from where you want to go. So that's why it's such a big day for Texas. And I, and I don't think that they can escape that fact. So the pressure is really on Texas. It's not on Alabama. Not on Alabama. And and that is a minority opinion. Everyone's probably saying, Texas is playing with house money. 
all the pressure's on Alabama. They're the ones with everything to lose. Absolutely not the case. Absolutely not the case. Because that mirror, that reflection point for the University of Texas is real. It will show you exactly how far behind the leader you are in college football. And there's no escaping that. There is no escaping that. Meanwhile, let me tell you why there's no pressure on Alabama. Because Alabama already operates under an immense amount of pressure that they put on themselves. Let me explain. If you take a 30,000-foot view of Bama and you say, like, what makes Bama so great? Obviously, they've got great players. Yes, certainly. They've got a great coach. Yes, certainly. But what is it? What is it about the process that allows them to play at such a high level on a week-in and week-out, year-in and year-out basis? And I believe it's the standard with which Nick Saban holds everybody accountable. That is not a new opinion. But when you talk with people around college football, in particular guys that have coached with Saban or played with Saban, they will tell you that every single day when the sun rises, it's a reckoning. A reckoning, folks. You cannot fall short of the standard at Alabama. And it doesn't matter if you're the quarterback, Bryce Young, if you're the second string and third string defensive tackle, if you're on the scout team, it doesn't matter if you're the wide receiver coach, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the support staff, you're in the operations department, you're in the recruiting staff, it doesn't matter if you're part of training table. There is a reckoning for everybody in the Alabama building. And that reckoning is a standard by which Nick Saban holds everybody accountable. But here's the best part about the process at Alabama. They never have to adjust because it's very simple. If you do not reach that standard, then you are no longer there. That's why it's such a unique place, guys. All right? That's why it's it's so unique. If you don't reach the standard, you are no longer there. They just move on. They don't deal with it. They move on. Why? Because somebody else is going to be willing to deal with that reckoning. That's why they get the unique five-star players that want to go there and compete with other five-star players. They don't want to go and be a big fish in a small pond. They want to go and be part of the big pond and take that big pond to places that we didn't even think was possible. Multiple national championships over different series of recruits national championships over different series of, of coaching staffs. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable feat what they've been able to do, and it's because of that reckoning that Nick Saban has for his organization. And if you don't reach that standard, then you're no longer there. That's why they're so good, and that's why they don't feel any pressure, folks, is because when they get on the field on Saturday and they're playing Texas, guess what? That's the easiest day of their week. <laughs> See, this is this is why it's it's – it's so difficult to play Alabama, and they don't plan it, panic. They don't flinch. That's not to say that they don't ever get beat, because sometimes they get beat, and sometimes they don't even they don't play well. But they don't panic because Tuesdays are generally harder than Saturdays because of the standards set by their head coach, because of the level of competition and talent that they have. 
All right. It's one of the big reasons why they have a higher percentage of their five-star recruits that get drafted versus what the national average is. Did you know that the national average for five-star recruits to get drafted out of your program is about 21%, 21% of them. It's a large percentage when you think about how few guys actually get drafted. Did you know that at Alabama, if you're a five-star recruit, there's a 51% chance you're going to be drafted? 51%. It's 30% higher than the national average. Why? Because of the reckoning of the standard of Nick Saban. You have to reach it or you're no longer there. That's why they don't feel pressure in big games. That's why when they roll out there against Texas, the pressure is not on them because to them, it's no different than Tuesday. But for Texas, that mirror is going to reflect exactly how far behind they are of what the standard is in college football. All the pressure is on Texas. None of the pressure is on Alabama. And it's because of what it means to each of those programs. Now let's dive into the game. I want to take you through kind of the, the, the lineups and exactly what I'm expecting to see and preparing for in this matchup. Let's start with Alabama uh, having the football. Okay, so let's start with the Alabama offense. And let's start with their best player, which is Bryce Young. Uh, the more that I watch Bryce Young, the more impressed I am with him. The more that I watch him operate the system at Alabama, which is a very NFL-style system with what they did under Steve Sarkeesian and now Bill O'Brien, the more I'm impressed with his ability to make quick decisions, his ability to manipulate the pocket, stay calm under pressure, and then have one of the quickest releases I've ever seen, regardless of platform, and throw accurately down the field. Uh, folks, the, I, it wasn't, I don't think it was the first completion, but it was like the third play of the game last week against Utah State. He made one of those throws that I had to watch 10 times because I thought it was one of the greatest throws I've ever seen. And you're like, what? Isn't that hyperbolic, Joel? No, it's not. Why? Because this guy, Bryce Young, he manipulated the pocket by moving up in the pocket. Then he sprints to his left, not shuffles, but sprints to his left, stops, and without getting his left shoulder all the way back to the target, he just flips sidearm a ball 20 yards down the field to a wide receiver running the opposite direction while he's being covered man to man in a tight window, and he throws it on the money and I was like oh my gosh that's the first pick in the draft that's just how I feel I think Bryce Young is is the first pick in the draft I when I watch him play I think he's as good a prospect as I've seen in in a long time and the bottom line is is that if he wasn't a little bit smaller in stature we would be talking about him as a generational talent like we did with Trevor Lawrence during the course of his career but the fact that he's not that stature and he's only six foot, not quite 200 pounds, there's these questions. But rest assured, I think that that guy's the first pick in the draft and he's one of the best quarterbacks that I've ever seen. Now he's operating this offense and he's going to have to take his game to the next level this year. And here's why, folks. The weakest part of Alabama's team, I believe, is their wide receiver core. That doesn't mean that they're bad. Remember now, I'm rating them against other parts of the team. This team is number one in the country and should be number one in the country. So that their, their wide receiver core is not bad, but it's not what it's been over the last couple of years. If there's one area where Texas could take advantage of Alabama, it would be the ability to potentially lock up some of these wide receivers. 
I'm interested to see how they play this week and the speed with which they play. Nick Saban knows that it's one of the only positions on the field that you cannot skimp on speed. All right? It's a prerequisite. You've got to be able to run or you can't play. And he, he doesn't like the possession guys. That's why they've been so fast over the last couple of years, and they aren't quite as fast as what they have been. Again, they're not slow, and they're not bad. They just aren't what they have been. If there's one weakness to this offense as compared to what they have been, it would be in the wide receiver core. One guy that I want you to keep an eye on is a guy that has done a heck of a job as a freshman. All right, And when you do that, that says something, in particular in a program in which there's a reckoning every single day, and that's Kobe Prentice, number 80. Um, Bama fans, be excited about him. Not a big guy, 5'10", 171, but he is a guy that I've really enjoyed watching this week uh, of what he did last week against Utah State. I think he's a really good player. So Jermaine Burton, uh, Holden, number 11, he's a physical guy. Kobe Prentice, not quite what they've been in the past, but that's their wide receiver core. Cameron Latu, their tight end, should be back. And then there's the run game. This run game, folks, has got to be better than what it was a year ago, and they feel like they are going to be better. First and foremost, Eric Wolford comes in. He's their new offensive line coach. He came from Kentucky. And they feel like they're going to be more balanced running the football. Okay, so... The offensive line last year, they only ran really like zone concepts in the run game. A couple of years ago, they did everything well. Zone concept, gap concept, that means like man blocking, down, down, kick out, getting able to get downhill in in a specific gap. Last year was more zone oriented, and I didn't feel like they ran the ball as effective as what they have in the past. This year, they feel like they can do both because of Wolford, their new O-line coach, holding them to account up front, and I think that they're very good up front. They've also got Jameer Gibbs. Gibbs is an electric player, folks, and this is, again, why I think that their run game is much better than what it was a year ago. I think that's going to help Bryce Young out immensely. One of the reasons is because last year, when he got some of those fast wide receivers hurt late in the season, specifically against Auburn, he took seven sacks. That was the most he was sacked the entire year. So teams feel like if they can lock up the wide receivers, maybe they can get after the quarterback. Well, not if Bama can also run the ball. And that's what they weren't able to do really effectively a year ago, and they feel like they're going to be able to do that this year. Bryce Young doesn't make many mistakes, folks. Like I said, I think he's one of the best players that I've seen in a really long time. So the defense that they're going to face on this Texas side is interesting, and the, and the interesting part for me is what they didn't do and, when, and then what they did do in the offseason. Steve Sarkeesian did not make a change at defensive coordinator. So Pete Kwiatkowski stays their defensive coordinator. Some thought he was going to make a move, in particular because of the way that they played in certain second halves last year. Gave up some leads, didn't play great, and and certainly wasn't up to par. Kept him, but then did make a move to bring somebody in. Who was that? Gary Patterson. So Gary Patterson enters the fray. Former TCU coach and a head coach, and in my estimation, one of the best game planners in college football on the defensive side. And I can tell you that Gary Patterson is basically kind of a, a, a little bit more than an analyst, almost more of a consultant for Texas. Not an on-field coach, but I can tell you he's been working on this game plan all summer. You know that. 
You know it. Steve Sarkeesian has mentioned that, like, hey, our game plan has been built for this for months. That's partly because of Gary Patterson. He's a great game planner. I expect him to try to take away easy throws and quick throws for Bryce Young by locking up the wide receivers and then trying to create pressure and get the blitz there like Auburn was able to do a year ago when they got seven sacks. Bryce Young threw a pick in that game, in that Auburn game. That's a rare deal. Remember, only seven interceptions a year ago. So the players that Gary Patterson and Pete Kwiatkowski are, are going to be leaning on are guys that have some experience, not a ton of experience, and let's face it, Texas fans are kind of ho-hum about. I think their best player on their defense is DeMarvion Overshone, their linebacker, number zero, and he's got to be great. If they're going to stay close in this game, Overshone's got to be great. They're going to have to bring him off the edge. He's going to have to have three, four tackles for loss, maybe a couple of sacks, and cause Bryce Young to throw the ball into traffic and see if they can get a pick. In the back end, they're pretty good. I won't say they're great. A guy to keep your eye on is Deshaun Jameson. Uh, he's a corner. He's a senior, number five, and I think he's a really good player. Let's move over to when Texas has the ball. All right, so when Texas has the ball, um, this is where it gets really interesting, at least for me. Okay, folks, so let's start with their quarterback, young guy Quinn Ewers. What do I think of Quinn Ewers? I think Quinn Ewers is really talented, and he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet. He hasn't played a lot of football, and remember, he hasn't really played football in two years because of everything that went on with his reclassification. He goes to Ohio State. Now he's at Texas. You know, he hasn't played a ton of football, and so these reps that he's getting are going to be a little bit rocky. We saw that early in the game against ULM last week. He throws a pick, and it was a bad pick early. What I do like is he bounced back. I believe he completed his next eight passes right after his interception. So it shows me that he's got a little bit of a, an ability to bounce back. So Ewers, their quarterback, is going to clearly have to play great. He can't sit there and do it alone, though, folks. They cannot sit there and just run the ball and drop back. The front seven for Alabama will eat them up. This is a team that's going to start two true freshmen on the offensive line. Kelvin Banks, a guy that they think is going to be really good, potential first-rounder in the future, and Cole Hudson, the right guard. So two true freshmen. By the way, when you look at their two deep, I'm going to count them for you right now. They've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven true freshmen. True freshmen in their two deep. That's more true freshmen than anybody else. There's only, what, Five other guys in the two deep. Seven true freshmen, five other guys total in the two deep. They lost Junior Anglau to an ACL injury um, uh, during fall camp, and that offensive line is, is good and they're talented, but they're totally overmatched against Alabama's front seven. Totally overmatched. So what does Steve Sarkeesian have to do? Folks, this is going to be a game plan and, and a, and a play-calling sequence for, for Sarkeesian on Saturday where he's going to have to be brilliant. Steve Sarkeesian is going to have to act as a, um, a sixth offensive lineman for Quinn Ewers and B. John Robinson in that Texas offense because he's going to have to get the ball outside and minimize the impact of his offensive line 50 60% of the time. So think about calls like toss sweeps, screens, RPOs, play action, uh, get the uh, quarterback Ewers out of the pocket constantly, misdirection, tempo, pull back. He's going to have to be a brilliant game manager as a play caller for this Texas offense to try to minimize the impact of what the offensive line is doing against the front seven for Alabama. 
Now, on the outside, the skill position players, Texas is as talented as anybody. In fact, I, I would probably take their wide receivers over Bama's wide receivers, although it's close. Xavier Worthy, heck of a player. Remember, they lost Isaiah Nair to a knee injury in fall camp. That hurt them quite a bit, but they feel like they are very good. Jordan, Jordan Whittington, Xavier Worthy, a guy like Casey Kane, number 88, has stepped up and played very well during fall camp and a guy that they really like. Obviously, Bijan Robinson, I think he's the best running back in all of college football. He's going to have to touch the ball 20 to 25 times, but they they can only give it to him inside the tackle box 8 to 10. So think about the creativity that Sarkeesian's going to have to have. They're going to have to get him the ball in so many different ways to let him impact the game, but not just slam him inside at that great front seven. Jatavian Sanders, the tight end, he really came on last week and did a great job for them. So they feel like they're better at tight end that they, than they've been in a long time. And then there's the matchup against that defense. Folks, I think this defense for Alabama is the best defense in America. All due respect to Georgia. All due respect to Clemson. This defense is unreal. They're great up front. They can rush the quarterback. They've got smart, tough players at the second level as their linebackers. They're deep, long, athletic in the secondary. There is not a weakness on this defense, period. Period. It's not just Will Anderson, who, by the way, is just an alpha. This is more like a Rolando McLean-style guy, right? Not in the way that he plays, but the way that he leads. I told you about the reckoning and the standard of Nick Saban in that program. There's a reckoning and a standard on this defense set by Will Anderson. I've had opposing coaches tell me that nobody in the country plays harder than Will Anderson. So you couple, he's he's the most talented guy on the field, and he's playing harder than everybody, and guess what you get? Greatness. Greatness. I think Alabama has a great chance to have the top two draft picks in the draft. Pending need, obviously, and who's drafting in those spots. I think Bryce Young and Will Anderson could be the number one and number two pick in the NFL draft, and that would be somewhat unprecedented, if not totally unprecedented. They've got four corners they believe in, and really the guy that doesn't get a lot of credit but should is Henry Toa Toa. Is I saying that right? Toa Toa. I think it's Toa Toa. I'm going to get it right by Saturday, folks. Let's just all get it right right here. Toa Toa. Why is he so important? Because it's essentially his fourth year in the defense. Even though he transferred from Tennessee, he was running the same defense at Tennessee, so he is a difference maker in the fact that he can make everybody right in there in that front seven. He's a heck of a player, and that's what this defense really relies on. So there's the matchup, folks, Texas and Alabama. I can't wait for it. That's uh, about as in-depth a breakdown as you can, you can get here on a weekday. Um, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up uh, on social media. If you have any other questions about the game to, to, to finish things off with this game, folks, we're going to be there. Game days there. Kickoff is there. I mean, big noon kickoff. We're blowing it out. The, the entire college football world is watching this game and all the pressures on Texas and none of the pressure is on Alabama. All right. Uh, to finish things off today, I want to get to a little what if. This is going to be a little rapid style, um, and we're just going to play what if X, Y, or Z happens in college football, and I'll give you my thoughts. Okay, I don't know what these what ifs are, so we'll bring in kind of the voice of God here, and, and we'll say what if, and um, all right, I'm ready. What do we got? What if? Stanford beats number 10 USC in Lincoln Riley's second game. Ooh. 
That would be, I mean, Trojan fans just cringed. One, I just talked about Bama and Texas for 30 minutes, and now you're bringing up like a potential loss to Stanford. I think Trojan fans, USC fans, if you're honest with yourself, your biggest concern is that this is all lipstick on a pig. And that great we got Lincoln Riley and the quarterback Caleb Williams and some of these flashy players on the outside, but are we really good enough up front to go and win on the road in conference and to be a team that can actually win 10 ballgames? That's their fear. And so if they were to lose to Stanford, I think that that would be like a realized fear. Like their biggest fear would be, oh my gosh, it really is lipstick on a pig. I don't believe that that's going to happen though. I believe I believe in USC. I believe in what they're doing. I think that they're a little bit better at the line of scrimmage than people give them credit. So I think USC goes into Stanford and I think they win. And by the way, I think they win handily. That line is nine and a half. I think they go over that. What's next? What if? J.J. McCarthy turns it over three times on Saturday. Oh, Michigan fans just... Now, you're, uh, USC fans just puked. Now, Michigan fans just puked. That's not what you want to see, Michigan fans. I know... Listen, I read what's online, folks. I know you are desperate for J.J. McCarthy to go turn in a great performance. If he turns it over three times, you're back at square one. It's the two. It's it's basically like 2021 all over again at the quarterback position. You're probably going to get Cade McNamara starting every game and J.J. McCarthy spelling him at times to bring in the different d- dynamic of a running quarterback that can attack the edge. And Michigan fans don't want that, and I don't think Jim Harbaugh wants that. By the way, that's the only thing that continues this battle. In my heart of hearts, I think that J.J. McCarthy has a higher ceiling than Cade McNamara. The problem is, is that J.J.'s floor is much lower than Cade McNamara's. And the concern would be turnover. So if he turns it over three times, they're back at square one. What's next? What if Texas actually beats Alabama? (laughs) Oh, can you imagine? One, I don't think I'm making my 435 flight. That's so that's number one because it would be absolute madness. I mean, if Texas wins, I mean, I guess there's only one the one thing. If Texas wins, then I guess you would say that Texas is back. <laughs> Folks, thanks for listening today. Um, you can follow the show at Joel Klatt Show, all the social medias out there. Is that how the adults say it? Twitter, Instagram. Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Joel Clatt. I'm on Instagram at Joel underscore Clatt. All of this content out there. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of this show by listening and then engaging with us. Um, listen, this podcast is growing rapidly here in our first week. Remember, we're going to be Monday. We're going to be Wednesday. We're going to be Thursday. Uh, folks, this is a wild ride. I love college football. You love college football. And now we've got a place to go experience it together during the week. Thank you for listening, folks. We'll be back on Monday.